0: Hello and welcome to the second episode of The Breakout, a Metal Movers podcast brought to you by Argus Media. If you haven't heard our first episode with Barry Zeckelman, the CEO of Zeckelman Industries, make sure you go back and check it out on argus.com under the News and Insights tab. Today, we are going to sit down with our steel reporter, and I cannot roll my R's, so it's Maria Luisa Rincon, and get a brief update on the U.S. rebar markets. Then make sure to stick around. We're going to have an interview with Dave Stickler, the former CEO of Big River, and the new CEO of Bar and senior managing partner of Global Principal Partners. So since we're talking to Dave today in this episode, it seems fitting we talk about Rebar. So Maria, what are you hearing out there on the Rebar markets?
1: Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Also, you did great on the name, so don't worry about it. Um right now the big news is that there's not a whole lot going on the market has okay demand there is enough demand to drive prices but we're kind of in the middle of what some market participants have called summer doldrums so we're kind of just in a wait and see kind of pattern things are really expected to pick back up in september um but the us market has certainly seen its ups and downs this year mostly downs as 2023 has gone on, the big topic of conversation around what's affecting rebar prices has really shifted from scrap prices to demand to now import prices. Weakening global steel prices throughout the summer have really pressured the price of material being sold into the U.S. Um, so a lot of domestic steel makers have been dropping their own offers in order to keep pace. Argus's domestic rebar assessment actually fell to $875 per ton last Friday from this year's peak of $960 per ton in March.
0: So with the prices falling, it's kind of bad timing, right? Aren't we seeing some additional capacity come on uh, here in the US?
1: Well, I mean, it's not necessarily bad timing. I mean, these less than ideal prices aren't doing much to hamper incoming rebar production capacity um CMC for example just is starting to ramp up their rebar micro mill in Arizona and more than 2 million tons of additional capacity are expected to be added in the US market between now and 2025 so that's where your guest comes in Dave Stickler he's the CEO of Highbar one of those upcoming mills um it's 630,000 tons per year in northeast arkansas and broke ground actually on August 2nd It's expected to be operational by mid-2025. And when it's complete, Hybar will be the first mill with the ability to run 100% on renewable energy at certain times, thanks to its adjacent solar field.
0: Yeah, so I want to encourage everybody to stick around and listen to the interview with Dave. He does touch on the solar field and the renewable energy side of the mill. Um, but also, this is his first one he's broken ground on, and he touches a little bit more onto if there's maybe more waiting uh, for him to construct with his team. So from there, I'm going to turn it over to the breakout session of today's Metal Movers podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I'd like to welcome listeners to the breakout portion of our Metal Movers podcast, where we sit down with recognizable names and figures in the steel industry. In our second episode of The Breakout, we're lucky to be joined by someone who's played a major role in shaping the landscape of the U.S. steel market over the past 30 years. Born just outside of Cleveland and a member of Crane's Cleveland Business 40 Under 40, this guest, alongside Baden Capital, were original investors in steel dynamics in the mid-1990s. Just a little more than 10 years later, he and industry legend John Correnti worked together to finance and build Severcore. The mill was eventually sold to Severstall and ultimately wound up becoming SDI Columbus. Not done there, his next project went on to become the first LEED certified mill globally with Big River Steel. And now his latest endeavor, announced last year, High Bar, plans to build two new rebar mills in the U.S., including one back in Arkansas. I am joined by none other than the CEO of High Bar and senior managing partner of Global Principal Partners, Dave Stickler. Welcome, Dave.
2: Well, thank you for that nice introduction. I'm I'm happy to be 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 here with you today.
0: Thanks. Yeah, happy to have you. I think hopefully I covered most of the big points uh, over the past you know 30 years here, but I, I want to kind of go back to the the mid 1990s because you know I think if we look at companies like Steel Dynamics today, we know of them as a major major industry player. But you know this was kind of not newish technology but coming into the mini mill sheep market side of things in the 1990s. Can I just talk us through what was going on in the industry and how you guys got you know partnered up to to help uh, finance Steel dynamics?
2: Sure sure So go, going back uh, almost uh, 30 years as, as you reference there in in that day and age there was still the strong belief that, flat rolled steel of any quality needed to start with an iron ore mine coking coal in other words the integrated uh, steel making route there had been uh, Newcore, Crawfordsville uh, there had been Hilson Mexico and uh, Gallatin uh, when we formed steel dynamics that was really the the, the fourth what we were calling then mini mills where you would Start with primarily scrap metal in your furnace, 70, 80% scrap metal, uh, 10, 10, 15, 20, 30% pig iron. And you would produce flat rolled steel coming out of a caster two inches thick versus the more typical eight to 12 inches thick that the integrated community. And first day in business, there were three people showed up at my office uh, Mark Millett, Dick Teats, and Keith Bussey. And in those days, the uh, build a project like that, it cost us $385 million. In your opening comments, you mentioned Bain Capital. They were a large equity investor in the project, as was was my group. We had uh, GE Capital was 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 involved, as was a company called JH uh, Whitney. And the rest is history. Uh, that company was built. We then expanded it took it public and today Steel Dynamics continues to be one of the most hope, high profile most profitable steel producers not just in in North America but 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 the world. And as I look back over the 30 years many of the project participants in the formation of Steel Dynamics have continued to be with me as we have built, expanded, or uh, bought other steel making assets. For instance, KFW is one of the lead banks on the steel dynamics transaction. They've done deals with me for, for, for decades now. And in fact, we're the, one of the big lenders in Severcore, one of the big lenders in Big River Steel, and will be one of the big lenders in, in the high bar transaction. We also had a gentleman named Mike Stone who was an investor uh, through a company called JH Whitney. Mike Stone today is one of the head partners at TPG Capital. TPG Capital has been involved in uh, several of my mini mill projects over the years, inc- including Big River Steel and soon to be uh, high bar. And then we had SMS uh, as Steel Dynamics primary equipment vendor. and. I've bought billions and billions and billions of dollars of technology from SMS, and they uh, will similarly be a technology provider at at, at high bar. So, from those beginnings, when people really thought, you know, three individuals working out of a temporary offices in in North Indiana trying to build their the steel mill on their own, people thought that were was nuts. But we got it done, and it was. Very, very successful, and that's a model I've used, uh, as I said, for almost three decades now.
0: Yeah, it is interesting to hear just kind of from the, the starting point where, yeah, like I said, anyone who thinks of SDI today knows of them as you know a massive profitable company. Uh, but yeah, just going back to those early days of trying to figure out you know what you're actually going to do in Indiana, how this is going to work, and just seeing you know the partnerships uh that have kind of helped progress progress you
2: and everybody else through through the next 30 years yeah I mean it it really is when you look back these are these are fun exciting projects because each one that I do you're starting with a clean piece of paper you know you got to come up with the company name you got to come up with the you know logos you've got to come up with the uh, compensation arrangements for your employees You've got to find the site, you've got to negotiate your power contracts, your rail contracts, get all of your environmental permits in in place. And things have changed over the past 30 years as far as number one, the size of the projects, the sophistication of the types of steel that can can be made. But I will tell you the one thing that hasn't changed is that if you have that entrepreneurial mentality, and you hire a motivated workforce and buy the best technology, you're going to stand a very, very good chance of making a a very, very, very nice return on your investment while at the same time, creating opportunities for your employees to create wealth for themselves as well. So everybody, everybody's swimming in the, in the same direction and when the projects work like fortunately they have worked uh, uh for, for me over these years everybody wins yeah and that's
0: so if we go back to to so we're in the mid-1990s with with steel dynamics but then you know you get partnered up with uh John Correnti, who was you know the former CEO at Newcore, and you, you guys finance and build Severcore, and now this is I guess in my mind, probably the first U.S. mill that, as you're producing it too, you're running into you know China's coming into the market as a a major global player, kind of in the early 2000s as well. I'm sure some of the you know the comments too about building a new mill and there's too much capacity already were probably you know probably existed, but take us back to that time too now now you have moved on from steel dynamics you and Corredt here together uh, and you're starting to you know finance and build severcore
2: yeah it's it's interesting that you uh, you you take the the gap from uh, steel dynamics to severcore in in between there we did a number of transactions in southeast asia and then also began dabbling in in china as china was really uh, growing and expanding their their steel making base most of that was the integrated uh, steelmaking base where they would bring iron ore in from uh, from Australia and, and raw materials from elsewhere around the world. But they were also looking at and dabbling in the electric arc furnace mini mill arena. Now, their electrical grid wasn't as robust at the time it, uh, that that you could just put an electric arc furnace, you know, anywhere in the country that that you wanted. But there were a number of electric arc furnace operations. So, we worked uh, successfully in China. My wife's Chinese. We we maintain a home in, in, in Beijing. We did some transactions both in the flat rolled space and in the long product space over in the Kingdom of Thailand. Actually merged a number of long product rebar companies together, uh, took it public on the uh, uh, Thai Stock Exchange and ultimately ended up selling the, that company to Tata Steel as they were looking to uh, expand globally in, in the long products arena. But John and I got together when John had uh, had uh, become involved in Birmingham Steel. Uh, Birmingham Steel had hit some rocky patches, and after John left Nucor, uh, he became CEO of, of Birmingham Steel. Dialed uh, dialed that project up and 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 ultimately uh, sold Birmingham, Birmingham Steel to was say to Newcore yeah. right yeah sold it to Newcore which is where yeah. John had previously been CEO and there had been a palace coup where uh, certain managers you know were were looking to really force Ken Iverson. Uh, who was just a, an, an iconic, an iconic leader of that of that company, and John Carney out. So John dialed up uh, Birmingham, sold it back to his former uh, em- employer, and then was looking for something to do. And I said, John, why don't we build our own flat rolled mill? And he said, Well, how much money do you think that's going to cost? And ultimately, when we figured it all out, it was about eight hundred and eighty million dollars, uh, is what we were sought to raise and, and go out and, and begin looking for sites, looking for power arrangements, rail arrangements, et cetera, and ultimately uh, put a consortium together that included uh, my own firm, Global Principal Partners, a company that had been involved in uh, in the steel dynamics transaction, as well as some of our transactions over in Asia. Uh, we were gonna put that several core project uh, believe it or not, in Arkansas. But while we were looking for sites, we we uh, came came across Oyo Severstall, and Steven Zink. Steven Zink was a uh, high, high, highly regarded uh, investment banking group out of out of Little Rock, Arkansas. So we were going to put that project in in Arkansas, but at the 11th hour, decided to move it down to Columbus, Mississippi. Haley Barber was then the governor of of Mississippi. Uh, OAO Severstall was one of our partners. They were the largest controlling partner. Uh, We built the facility, got it started up, hired all the employees, began making grades of steel that had never really been made in an electric arc furnace before, uh, including uh, many, many of the more challenging automotive grades of, of steel. Ultimately, Oeo Severstall had an option to buy the entire uh, company, so they bought they bought us out. Uh, we then worked with Oeo Severstall to help modernize uh, one of their facilities up up in up in Detroit, and then uh, leap forward a few years, uh, Oeo Severstall was looking to exit the United States, and lo and behold, Severcore was sold to uh, Steel Dynamics, a company that I had. Previously been been involved with so kind of the the, the full the full circle there, but Severcor was was done just like uh, many of our other other projects. We start with a clean piece of paper. We put in place the compensation system. We decide which technology we're going to buy. We have many of the same project participants in Severcor again, uh, including KFW, the German bank, SMS, certain of certain of the in- investors. So. Severcore, again was, a, was just a roaring, roaring success, and today continues to be a a very, very profitable uh, steel making operation in, in Columbus, Mississippi. There.
0: Yeah, it's it's fascinating to hear too, just kind of behind the scenes of you know not only getting the the Butler, Indiana mill up, but then eventually you know what became their the SDI Columbus facility, which were you know the two flagship flat roll mills for them until you know Sinton. Uh, starting up here you know, over the past year or two.
2: Oh yeah, and and that that mill down in Texas, although although they're you know continuing to have a, f- a few challenges, uh, that's going to be a just a fabulous mill down there. Yeah, uh, uh, certainly. Uh, uh, it shows the advancement of the of the technology because again, remember what I said when we first started these projects uh, thirty some thirty years ago, and we were coming out of the caster two inches thick. Now, if you look at a mill like Stinton, they're coming out of the caster using, you know, scrap metal and pig iron, five, five and a half inches uh, thick, and that gives you a, a much greater reduction ratio, which allows you to get into some more surface target qualities that may be coming out two inches thick, you you couldn't achieve. It allows you to get in some higher grade pipe material and really uh, with with the width now, you know going eighty some inches wide, there's really no no products that these these electric arc furnace mini mills can't make. and when and when we did big River, which was interesting, um, that was uh, we invested one point three billion dollars in in Big River. And our goal was, not only to be the world leader in terms of an environmental sustainability, but to also be the world leader in quality of product capabilities, and we were able to accomplish that at uh, at Big River and in, in, in Spades.
0: Yeah, and that was I want to touch on Big River as well. I mean, it, it is interesting too when you start to you know, you mentioned the price tags on all the different mills uh, from the nineteen you know nineteen ninety six to you know the 2000s to more yeah. recent stuff and you can notice a pretty big jump in those price tags but i mean big rivers one of the ones that like i said before we started talking i'm in my mid 30s that was kind of the big big new project That i've seen over the last 10 years it was kind of the first one out there in my mind at least but you know went on to be the first leed certified mill globally um you know it was installed in two phases in oclo arkansas so you know even though maybe they didn't get severcore they did get big river then you know u.s Mm -hmm. steel's now doubling Mm -hmm. that size so what is that Probably like a child, but like it is Big River your favorite so far of the projects you've worked on, or you just kind of talk us through Big River.
2: That's yeah. I I, each project is is different. All projects have many, many, many challenges. There's never an easy project. Um but you know, clearly that one uh that's the that's the most recent one that that we've been involved with until we do high bar here in, in uh in another six weeks or so when we, when we break ground. But Big River, again, I, I think that the goal there was to assemble a world-class group of investors again. And uh, you heard me mention Mike Stone. Mike Stone was an investor in that. We had KFW. We had, we had SMS, uh, many of the other uh, similar project participants. But um, our, our goal was to really take the best available technology, combine it all under one roof and make sure that from an environmental sustainability perspective, we we were a a world leader. So the the LEED certification, leadership in energy and environmental design, typically you see the LEED certification on office buildings, uh, university, college campuses, hospitals, government buildings, but never in a heavy industrial facility like a steel mill and, and people literally they, they they thought we were nuts that that, that we were going to try and, and get LEED certified but our goal was to get that designation not that we expected people to pay more for our steel because our steel was lead certified but everything else being equal price delivery terms payment terms uh, quality support everything else being equal there were we thought buyers that would buy lead certified steel versus steel from producers that maybe weren't quite as environmentally sustainable as we were think of the older integrated mills and that actually proved correct Uh, we never saw people that would pay more for our steel but everything else being equal we would get the order and i told people it's it's like if, if you go to Las Vegas and you play blackjack, the casino, the house always wins the tiebreaker. And that's how we viewed the lead certification that it that it was a tiebreaker. But, you know, that big that big river steel mill right on the Mississippi River, so we had access to barge, rail, and truck transportation options for both inbound and outbound material. We designed it so that we could ultimately produce the electrical grade steels non-grain oriented steels those go into hybrid and electric vehicles uh, you make the motor laminations for the for the motors and then grain oriented steels which are also called transformer steels in the united states you know people talk about energy efficiency and everything else there's certain grids in certain areas of our of our electrical system network where you're losing 25 to 30 percent of the kilowatts that are being generated because the transformers are way past their useful lives so that that's called blind loss so the grain oriented steel is very very challenging to make but just a huge demand for those and then the non-grain oriented steels you know when we started uh, big river we certainly knew that you know someday electrical vehicles and hybrid vehicles would would you know, really be a, a a dominant part of the the marketplace. Uh, I I don't think that we we thought it would come about as as quickly as it as it has. So we were very fortunate that we designed a mill to make those those grades of those grades of steel. And so we spent the 1.3 billion uh, highly successful construction uh, effort. We build these mills ourselves. We don't turnkey and we don't go hire a Fleur or a Bechtel and say. Hey, here's a pile of money. Call us when the mill's built. No, that's we don't do that. We, we, we build these our, ourselves. Obviously we use construction contractors, but really as, as subcontractors where we manage the project our, our, ourselves. Um, we then based on the success of, of uh, the initial uh, capital investment in, in initial operations, decided to double our capacity uh, by adding another $700 million to take our production up from 1.6 million tons to 3.2 million tons. And what's interesting, we were producing uh, 3.2 million tons with just over 600 workers. And those workers, that includes everybody from the janitorial staff to the security guards, to the cafeteria workers, to my role as, as CF, CEO. Um, that's that's over 5,000 tons of steel per year per worker, and you look at a company like US Steel, and you look at their production, and you look at their uh, labor uh, employment numbers, and it's it's you know just above 900 tons of steel per year per worker. So a big 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 difference. These are very labor efficient. Uh, our goal I, always uh, is.
0: Sorry, Dave. Uh, I was going
2: to ask
0: too. I, I, I heard. Uh, Did you say too? You were giving like the security guards production. Oh yeah yeah, as yeah, well? yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Oh yeah. I, you know what? It's you learn something on every deal, and you you always tweak and try and do things better. But yeah, you're exactly right. I put everybody on the on the production bonus. I put security guards on the janitorial staff, and people say, Dave, the janitorial staff they don't make steel. I said, I, Yeah, even I know that but they help keep the facility clean. A clean facility translates into a safe facility, which means you can operate longer because you you're don't, you not you know, being shut down for safety investigations, et cetera, et cetera. And the cleaner the facility is, the more our customers are going to realize we are a very, very high quality steel maker, and we're going to be able to sell more steel. And then the security guards, you're right, they don't make steel, but they get the trucks in and out of there. And in this day and age, getting the truckers in and out on time in an organized manner is critically important because the trucks will then want to come to, in this case, Big River Steel, versus somewhere where they might need to sit around and wait two hours to get loaded, or maybe they get stuck in uh, stuck in a line going through the uh, uh, the production shipping area. So it 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 all it all worked very, very nicely. And at Big River, I just I'm, I'm thrilled to say that by a wide, 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 wide margin, we had the highest paid steel workers in the world. There was a, a couple of years ago, the average worker made over $200,000 at uh, at uh, Big River, and that's all because of the production bonus. There's no limit on the amount of production bonus that you can earn in a a week. I, you know, one, one week I told the guys and gals that was coming up uh, on the year end holidays. I said, Hey, let's shoot for a 300% production bonus this week. We didn't quite get there. We got 287% production bonus right before the, the year end holidays. And so there was a lot, a lot of smiling faces. People could go and, you know, have have that much more enjoyment uh, with some real some real cash in, 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 in their hands over over the holiday season. So, yeah. uh, again, that's really the, the secret to these things is buy the best technology, hire entrepreneurial motivated workers and put a put a compensation system that that aligns everybody.
0: Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, those types of wages too. The, that's in you know North, North Arkansas. Those are good wages if you're living in some of the biggest cities, uh, oh. you know, in the United States. So, yeah. yeah. That kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Just based on your track record, though, I'm gonna put my hat in for the head of security at the new high bar mill. Um, so if if you're hiring there, just let me know. Even though I uh, might
2: there, not there, 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 You go. We, we certainly expect to uh, be able to replicate again what what we've done previously, which is hire a a all star team of uh, of of employees. And and the nice thing is, you really don't need throughout the organization to have everyone have previously worked at a, at a, at a steel production facility. We can train the workers. When, when I first started doing this, you know, way back even before uh, uh, Steel Dynamics, and, and you looked at companies like LTV, Bethlehem, National Steel, those mills, you know, in those days, it was 80% brawn, 20% brains to make steel. Today at, at companies like you know the Steel Dynamics the Severcores the Big River Steels the High Bars it's it's 90% brains and 10% brawn. You don't need to be a big burly uh, gentleman out there, you know, moving uh, slabs around. It it's it's all automated. You you do things in front of a computer screen and in a pulpit. Um, it's much much different than than those older steel mills. and really It's what attracted U.S. Steel to Big River Steel. Mm -hmm. They saw the writing on the wall. The percentage of steel that is made by the integrated community in the United States and globally is continuing to shrink. Continuing to shrink. And that's not going to change. All right. And so U.S. Steel said "We, we were formed 125 years ago. What do we need to do to make sure we're around for another 125 years because the model that we have no longer works and so they you know contemplated can usdo can we build our own mini mill and certainly with enough money they they probably could have built it um you know i think that in the end them partnering with Big River Steel, they, they bought 49.9% uh, initially and then had four years to buy the remaining 50.1. It really opened their eyes. They came, they had a proven team. The mill was working. We were receiving all kinds of accolades from the world's automotive community. After two years of operations, I got a call one day from the uh, CEO of, uh, of Daimler Mercedes. And he says, Dave, are you going to be in Osceola in three weeks? I said, Well, probably yes. Why? And he said, Well, we'd like to give you our sustainability uh, supplier award. And I thought the award was going to be for steel in North America. Well, when they came over, it was for everything that Daimler Mercedes buys anywhere in the world. So it was here's Big River Steel been in business for just two years operations and we we are the supplier of the year for Daimler Mercedes from an environmental sustainability perspective and again that built off of our lead certification it built off of the fact that our carbon emissions were significantly lower than the world average 15 times lo- lower as a matter of fact if you if you take a look at the world average of carbon emissions per ton of steel we were 15 times lower also, our, our water consumption was, was way, way, way at the low end of the spectrum on, on the way that although we didn't have to do it, um, there's plenty of water in northeast Arkansas, but we just felt that it was important to show the world that we can be very judicious with the use of, of our water. So those are some of the things that uh, attracted U.S. Steel to Big River in the first place was the quality awards, the sustainability awards the labor productivity and then what was interesting there was still a camp within U.S. Steel that said no 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 you cannot make quality steel starting with scrap metal we -hmm. said oh yeah why don't we do this let's just do some blind tests you take a coil of a particular uh, grade in chemistry from Gary Works and we'll make the same grade in chemistry at Big River we won't mark them." And we'll send them to your research center in Pittsburgh and may the best man win. And time and time and time and time and time again, the coils that were produced at Big River were the preferred coil in terms of quality, flatness, shape. And that shouldn't surprise you because we were using equipment that had been installed two years earlier, Mm -hmm. where at Gary, Mm -hmm. some of that equipment had been installed 50, 60 years ago. So they make a good quality product, but it's very challenging competing with brand new, modern, efficient technology. So long story short, after being our partner for, for 14 months, rather than the four years that they had to, to, to acquire the remaining 50.1, they called, called me up and said, hey, Dave, we're interested in, in uh, we've seen enough, we're interested in buying the entire company. So that began a dialogue of, okay, if we own the entire company, what's the secret sauce? And I said, the secret sauce is very simple. Do not, do not, do not change that compensation structure where we have the weekly production bonus. Mm -hmm. I said, if you leave that in place, you're going to be perfectly fine. Try and push decision-making down to to the shop floor like we've done. Don't try and run everything through committees in Pittsburgh or wherever else you've got all these committees. The mill is working very, very well. The employees love working there. It operates safely and just step in, reap the rewards, which is, you know, all the cash flow that's being generated. And so then it gets really interesting. (laughs) After owning it all for seven months, they then call me up and says, Hey, Dave, we love it so much. We want to do another one.
0: I said, make oh, it just make it Arkansas.
2: The steel was. Oh, no, yeah, so when they called me, we didn't know where we were going to put that their their second mini mill. So we called it MM2, which is mini mill two. And we looked at 42 sites in 14 different states. OK. And, and we ultimately
0: interrupt. But this was all on a very abbreviated time schedule, right? Oh,
2: unbelievable. Oh, this is unbelievable. So. The, they bought the, com- the company in uh, January, and then in July, they called up and said, okay, we want to do another one, so we had to make you know, presentations for their board and everything else, and, and they said, well, Dave, how long is it going to take to find another site, get the permits, get the rail agreements, get all that? And I said, look, if we do our job right about six months, they were anticipating it would take two years to do that. I said, no, 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 we can build an entire mill in two years let alone just find a site. So we started the site selection effort in uh, September and had our site chosen and announced the following uh, January after looking at those 42 sites in, in 14 different states. And we had all of our permits, we had our electrical contract, our rail agreements, our technical equipment, et cetera. And the final sites, it's public knowledge, were in North Alabama, uh, in the state of Mississippi, along the Mississippi River, and then Northeast Arkansas. And we ultimately went to Northeast Arkansas, primarily driven by the aggressive power rate that we were able to, to achieve. And that project uh, is, is well underway today from a, from a construction perspective. And you'll have, uh, U.S. still have uh, over 6 million tons of, of uh, some of the finest steel making capacity not only in North America but the world right there on the Mississippi River in in northeast Arkansas in 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 less than a year now yeah and now
0: too I mean with their internal moves to to pivot away some of their blast furnace capacity to the pig iron market as well I mean they're going to have key high quality raw materials uh at least a good portion of them in-house um to avoid kind of disruptions that we've seen globally with the the Russia Ukraine situation so yeah, it's just a it's a fascinating story. I mean, I'm from Pittsburgh, live in Pittsburgh, so seeing mm-hmm. the Pittsburgh company make, you know, these big kind of swinging changes. I think you know what well, was it Project Carnegie when Longhi was in there, um, to now what we've seen them kind of pivot away and have to do, and and what they're doing with Big River. I mean, it's been a
2: fascinating. You know, of, it's you know, it's been it's been so great to to be able to really take when I started my career on, on, on Wall Street, one of my first clients was U.S. Steel, <laughs> okay? And then to, you know, build a fabulous, help build a fabulous company, Big River Steel, run it, make all kinds of money for the workers and, and the investors, and then see it uh, uh, now in the hands of U.S. Steel. It's, it's, again, it's funny how you know, how circular this world is, just like it, SDI ended up with Severcor, et cetera. It's a, it's a small little community and, US Steel you hit on it if they play their cards right they have an opportunity to really be the winner amongst the North American steel producers because unlike SDI and Nucor they have their own iron ore which they can then use to make pig iron or if they wanted to get into the hot briquetted iron or direct reduced iron business they have their feedstock up in in Minnesota where Others don't 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 have that uh, don't have access to to to, to that iron ore, uh, for yeah. as, at least as far as the mini mill market segment of the market's concerned.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then, I mean, we've got to talk about it before we run out of time here. But we got to talk about high bar. Um, I mean, you you mentioned you did a little bit of it. Sounded like some long product. Uh, yeah, over, in, over in Southeast
2: Asia. Yeah, over yeah. in Southeast Asia. And so. Uh, what we're doing now is we're going to build. You mentioned earlier uh, two rebar mills. We're actually going to do three, possibly four. Uh, we looked uh, in the in the southeast portion of the of of the United States. Ended up uh, going to put the first one in. Arkansas about 3 miles away from where we did uh from where we did big, big River. We got a great power contract right on the Mississippi River. Uh KFW is is our bank. Uh TPG Capital is one of the investors, Coke Industry, uh one of the big investors we had in uh Big River. We've got some high 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 net worth uh, uh, families involved. Uh we're going to spend we we we're raising 680 million dollars. For this project, we're going to produce uh, 630,000 tons of of rebar. That's about 5% of of the rebar that's consumed in in, the United States and Canada each year. Uh, We believe that high bar will, just like we did it uh, at Big River, will set the global standard for environmental sustainability, carbon emissions, water consumption, et cetera. And we're going to be right up there uh, close to that uh, 5,000 tons of steel per year per worker. So, again, we'll have an opportunity to have the highest paid steel workers in the the world. Um, We're right on the BNSF mainline uh, rail track. We'll we'll be able to use uh, unit trains. We've pre-sold already, even though we haven't even broke ground. Uh, on our 22-month construction effort, we've pre-sold 23% of the steel mills output for the next 10 years. And I think what's really important is in the United States and Canada, 75% of the rebar is produced by two companies. One is Nucor and the other is commercial metals. And that's fine, but there's a big problem. Both new core and commercial metals also compete with their customers. They fabricate rebar. So they fabricate about 35% of the, uh, of, of the rebar that's that's fabricated in, in the United States and Canada. So if you're an independent fabricator and you're bidding on a large bridge project or a large multi-month, even multi-year uh, construction project, you're likely going to have to go to one of your competitors to source your rebar and i say that because in the united states if a federal highway dollar is involved in a construction project the rebar must be produced in the united states so you can't go over to turkey you can't go uh, over to spain and, and import your rebar for 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 those projects so high bar uh, we're excited as heck about uh, the future. We've got a who's who of investors. We've got a great, great bank again in, in KFW. SMS is providing the technology. We'll be able to produce all sizes of rebar, size 3 to 18. We'll, all, we'll produce both stick rebar and spooled rebar. Uh, our spooled rebar, our, our coils of uh, spooled rebar will be uh, up to eight eight tons in size eight. Both, uh, both uh, the 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 highest weight and largest size in the uh, in the world's rebar industry, as far as spooled rebar is concerned.
0: That's just another very interesting, exciting chapter, especially with you know, two potentially three uh, additional mills waiting kind of yeah. in the wings here after yeah. after this one here in arkansas um i do want to ask just real quick we've talked a lot about you know if we kind of go back to big river and every, and and the green steel sort of initiatives and everything and, and you know we've kind of seen it in, in what we do at price reporting agencies too try to figure this out of you know how how do you see just kind of the premium on low carbon or zero carbon steel working its way into the the market you know particularly automotive companies that are going to want this type of material. Um, how do you see this kind of working out in the U.S. in terms of, is there going to be a premium for this low-carbon steel, or how yeah. is that going to work yeah. out? Great,
2: great great question. I don't think so. All right. Um, what what it will be is if you have the greenest steel, it's going to be a tiebreaker, just like we just had it, uh, at Big River. People you know are saying, oh, I'm going to invest all this money. I'm going to produce— truly green steel, I'm going to get a 20 or 30% premium. That's nonsense. They People won't be paying a 20 or 30% premium for, for green steel. At high bar, I'm putting a adjacent solar field right next to me. When the sun's shining, I'm plugging my operations directly into the solar field. I'm not even going to the grid. So it's behind the meter. I'm going to be able to show my customers the sun. The solar panels the transmission lines and my operation and say it's all connected what a lot of people do is they'll say oh look how green we are we invested in a solar field 500 miles away from our plant and then look how good we are we're producing green steel that's nonsense unless you can tie your electrical uh, renewable energy directly into your operation you don't know where that kilowatt has come from. The minute you go to a grid, that kilowatt gets mixed in with gas generation, coal generation, bio generation, every other type of generation. At High Bar, I'm not getting mixed in with anyone. I'll be able to directly uh, connect. Now, when the sun's not shining, uh, or it's at night, obviously I'll be uh, I'll be connected to the grid and buy buy off the grid just like anybody else. But I don't I'm not a believer in a green premium. Um, it's just not going to happen in my my humble opinion.
0: Well, interesting. I, you know, it's been fantastic to be able to sit down here and hear just kind of some of the stories of how you got started. I mean, I, it's safe to say, you know, without you in the industry over the last 30 years, I mean, some of the biggest projects probably would not have went forward. You know, we wouldn't have big river uh, we wouldn't have soon to be High Bar. I mean, it's it's very exciting to be able to sit down and talk to you, and I I really appreciate your time. And I think hopefully all of our list- listeners here at the Metal Movers Podcast also enjoyed it.
2: Well, I, I certainly appreciated the opportunity to to chat with you today, and uh, I look forward to hosting you up at uh, up at High Bar. Uh, we'll be breaking ground in in six weeks, and then we'll have twenty two month construction period, but. Uh, we're we're an hour north of memphis tennessee so you're welcome to visit anytime i'll i'll look at flights today uh, yeah,
0: dave <laughs> i appreciate i appreciate the time today
2: all right well thank you very much enjoy the rest right. of your day bye bye you too
0: bye